And we're going to do some extensive talking tonight about Christian stewardship. A little bit different angle than what we approach it in our classes. Luke 16, verse 1. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I told you several weeks ago that I would talk to you some Thursday night on Christian stewardship from a little bit different angle than what I had uh, or have taught it in the past. Of course, when we have our stewardship lessons, we go from one scripture to the next. And while I like to think that I am a Bible-preaching, teaching pastor, tonight we probably appeal to your logic more than any other message that we have ever preached. And the reason why is because that on many of the finer points of managing of your personal life, so many people have been calling and they have been asking. Now, after we taught stewardship for several years, we have had people that have increased their understanding of the Word of God and their standard of living simply by giving careful thought to the principles that are taught in the Bible and following them. However, some of the fine lines of your daily living is definitely taken in consideration by the cultural standards that are set in a particular country. What we do here in America would not necessarily be the right standard to practice in Central America or in South America. I think you can understand that. Now, <clears throat> I read one scripture, and of course the scripture that I read was verse 1 of Luke 16. There was a certain rich man. Who's, who's the Lord talking about here? Who's he talking about? Here the Lord is talking about himself. There was a certain rich man. All right. Which had a steward. Now who's he talking about there? He's talking about us. Talking about his relationship to us. And the same was accused unto him that he had done what? Wasted his goods. In other words, God had made the accusation against one of his stewards that he had wasted his goods. Now notice what. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. In other words, there will be a day in all of our lives in which God will say, Now I want you to give an account for the way you've managed your life. Now, America is a very wasteful nation. And I'm sure that any one of you, if you were to be taken and placed in another society, 
you would quickly adapt to that and not be nearly as wasteful as you are here. And if in the event you lived here like you would live if you were placed in India, you'd probably be way out of step with everybody. You would be considered a real miser indeed. Now, I think that what the Lord is saying here, that failing to preserve your gains is a crime indeed. And it is worthy of consideration. In fact, you will lose your stewardship for failing to preserve your gains. Now, we have stated in our stewardship classes that the whole point of Christianity is not to see how much you can get. And I still say that. But rather, how much you can give. Of course, the principle in the Bible is give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give unto your bosom. Now, we became stewards when we turned everything over to the Lord at the altar. How many of you are Holy Ghost filled? Look at all the hands of the people that have been filled with the Holy Ghost. Whether you know it or not, there was a time in which you turned your entire life over to the Lord. Now that means your house, that means your automobile if you have one, that simply means all of the commodities that, that you presently manage. And a steward is a manager of something that does not belong to him, but something that belongs to somebody else. And of course, what the Lord is stressing in this parable is that he has turned over his kingdom to us on the earth. And we become managers of God's kingdom. Now, the Bible speaks against pride. Pride is associated with selfishness. Pride connects to self. However, there is a particular position in which you can, you can live and you can present yourself in a very wholesome way. You can look as presentable as the uh, egotist and at the same time, not be a proud person. Now, dignity calls attention to a purpose. Good to see Charlie Williams here tonight. Now, he has joined the Army, and he's been in the Army for 11 months. Nine months, did you say? Ten months. Well, I was all around it. Ten months. Now, the soldiers are taught to be dignified. And there is a certain dignity that goes with being an American soldier. Do they keep their hair cut? They sure do. Do they keep their shoes shine? They have to. Do they keep their clothes clean? They have to. Because, you see, they represent a cause that's greater than a personal cause. They represent the cause of America, freedom. And so they're taught 
to walk a certain way, to stand a certain way, and to be a certain type person, especially when they're on duty. And we have noted that quite a few career men become outstanding leaders and great American citizens. And not only that, they also become fantastic Christians. They do things a certain way. Now, Brother Gillum is a retired Air Force man. Now, I have never in my life seen a more disciplined person than Brother Gillum. And we've got other men who have been in the armed forces. It has a way of programming you or changing you. However, the cause that they represent, being much greater than their own cause, than a selfish or personal thing, teaches them to respect and revere not themselves as much as what they are calling attention to. Now, you see, Christians, by the same token, can be respectable, dignified, if I could use that term, people, and yet not be proud people. Because they call attention to a purpose far greater than a selfish one. And they should always understand that when they are managing God's commodities, that they are indeed managing a world and a system that is far greater than a personal one. For Christians absolutely own nothing in the church. The church on the earth is owned by Jesus Christ. I do not own this building and you do not own this building. And the reason why that religious organizations are non-taxable is because it was settled in court several years ago in a legal battle that church property is held by trustees but is really not owned by the trustees. That the church building is really owned not even by the congregation but by an omnipotent power outside of the building itself, and that is God. And how can you tax God? And so as a result, <clears throat> all of us who have been Holy Ghost filled, we represent a cause that's much greater than our own. Now, this is really beautiful because being that God owns everything, He's the rich man in the parable, there are unlimited resources that all of us can draw from if we so desire. I'm not for sure if it was Brother Grisham that told this story. Uh, perhaps he did, but then I read it in a book after Brother Grisham had told the story. 
but he spoke of an experiment that uh, was conducted in a university. And uh, the experiment went like this. They took a, a, a walleye pike and put it in an 80-gallon 80, 80 gallon aquarium. We'll get it right here in a minute. And they put that walleye pike in this huge aquarium with several dozen minnows. And the minnows were swimming by. Within a day or so, no minnows were left. Now, what happened was they put a glass dividing the aquarium. And they put the walleye pike on one side and the minnows on the other. Well, see, the pike could not see the glass. It was transparent. And so he, he kept bumping against the glass. And he kept hitting the glass. And he, he couldn't figure out evidently why he couldn't get through. So he'd back up a little further and hit it a little harder. And he kept hitting and he kept hitting and he kept hitting. Well, naturally, all the minnows were safe on the other side. The person conducting the experiment after the walleye pike had given up came and pulled the glass out. And when he pulled the glass out, the minnows not having the fear of the glass itself, for they had no real reason to be restricted to, to one side like the pike. They just began to swim openly and freely throughout the tank. But the pike, having experienced the separation and the limitations of his confinement, still figured that the minnows were in captivity. And while the minnows were brushing up against the pike, and some of them even brushing by his face, he died in the tank of starvation, simply because he would not try to catch one of the minnows. He had been restricted for a given period of time, and he decided that the minnows were out of reach. And there was, something, there was something in his brain that programmed his activities that he would not try to get one of them, even though they were free. They were right before him. Now, the church has unlimited resources. And the reason why that quite often we do not experience what we need to experience is because that we have tried a certain thing and it failed. And we tried again and it failed. And maybe we tried again and it failed. And after a while we just decided that uh, we wouldn't try anymore. And some people have literally given up on trying simply because that they have bumped into so much resistance. Now, in the Scripture you will find that there are two reasons why that Christians do not fare so well. One is because they fail to believe. And failing to believe naturally will not enhance the blessings of God upon you. There are some people that have not because they ask not. Now please understand that I am not here reading out of some kind of a success uh, motivation book. Neither do I take my logic nor thinking out of one. 
But a lot of people are just satisfied with status quo. They don't really care to live in, in any better environment than what they live in. Now, you may say, what in the world does this have to do with Christianity? See, I believe that God is a God that likes to do good things for people. He is not a God that chooses to withhold purposely from people just to keep them poor and to keep their standard of living down. Now, please understand, it should not be the, the primary goal of any Christian just to be a millionaire or to fare well in this world. We would rather have God and we would rather have miracles and signs and wonders and live in poverty than we would to live in riches and at the same time never see anything. And the problem with Laodicea was she was rich and increased in goods and she said, I have need of nothing. Now please understand that riches can pull some very difficult mazes on you. You don't really know where you are sometime when the blessings of God begin to flow. So I am not trying to, in, in this Bible lesson tonight, in any way teach you that, that you should try to increase your standard of living. That's not it at all. But what I am trying to say is that sometimes our mind can be so programmed that, that we just... When it comes to greater services, we can't believe that we can have greater services. Greater revival, we can't believe we can have greater revival. To have more people filled with the Holy Ghost, we can't believe that. We're, in other words, we are wrapped up in our small thinking. It is difficult for us to believe that something great and something dynamic can happen to us. So we do not receive simply because that we can't believe. A lot of people can't. They just can't. They have, they've just prayed for certain things for a given length of time, and they didn't see it, so they can't believe. And you've got to admit that the more often you make a trip to the altar to get prayed for a particular sickness, the harder it becomes. Because the devil keeps telling you, well, you've been up to the altar three times already. You've been anointed with oil three times already. And uh, four, four times is not going to do the job any more than three. And I've had a lot of people in this congregation say, well, Brother Grant, I'm real sick, but I'm hesitant to ask for prayer because I've been prayed for three times. Nothing has happened. Does that mean it can't happen? Does that mean that three times is, is, is just somehow turns God off? Oh, no. Not at all. But the, the problem, see, is not in God nor God's ability. The problem is that we have programmed ourselves to failure then. And the same is true, and you, this is especially true. You will find this to be especially true in people who have sought for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. One of the greatest instruments that you have as a worker at the altar is the power to encourage people to believe God. Because you know that after a person has prayed very sincerely at the altar two or three or four times for the Holy Ghost, it's easy for them to become discouraged. They get to feeling like the Holy Ghost is for everybody but them. And isn't it true that somebody came and encouraged you and you need to encourage other people? Oh, you were very close to receiving the Holy Ghost tonight. 
But don't be discouraged because God is a giver of gifts and God wants to give the Holy Ghost to you and He will give the Holy Ghost to you. But you see, in their own mind, they program themselves for failure quite often because, well, I've prayed three times, nothing happened, and so here it is. Now, while people do fail to believe God for certain things, the other reason why in the Scripture that people fail to receive good things from the Lord is simply because that they fail to take care are to be thankful for the things that God had given to them. Now, we'll just give you a quick example, okay? <clears throat> if I gave you a new pair of shoes for your birthday and you never shined them, and uh, after six months' time you're still wearing them and you never have shined them at all, it would be hard for you to convince me that you really were thankful for those shoes. You know, you go around and say, these are the best pair of shoes I ever have. Oh, I just hope they just last forever. But you're not doing anything to make them last forever. It would, In my own mind, I would think he's really not thankful for those shoes. How could you be? While you are purposely allowing them to rot, right off your feet because you won't take care of them, how could you convince me that you were thankful for those shoes? You follow what I'm saying? And so Christians fail to receive from the Lord because they are not thankful. And one of the signs of the last days, as we find in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, is that people shall be unthankful. And if you are thankful for something, you preserve it. You take care of it. But if you are not thankful for it, you waste it. Now you let your wife cook her best casserole dish. And uh, when you just have eaten all you possibly can, you don't turn to her and say, why don't you throw the rest of it out to the pigs? You say, save this for tomorrow. Isn't that right? But now, if you eat something that you don't quite enjoy, it would be quite easy for you to suggest that she dispose of it somehow and not bring it back up for meal tomorrow. See? The things that you love and the things that you are appreciative of the things that you're thankful for, you make them last as long as you possibly can. Now, from the standpoint of Christian stewardship, and as I said before, I probably won't get into the Scripture as much as into logic, but people have been asking me many, many, many questions. So, I would like as much as possible to give you a few practical tips. Now, please understand, that when you see Pastor Grant here, I'm not the best steward that God has ever had. In fact, I do not consider myself to be the best steward in this particular area that is in this church. Now, I think there are other ways in which our stewardship is tested. I think our stewardship is tested in our fidelity to the doctrine. 
in our love to the, for the message, in our love for lost souls. Uh, it's tested in so many different ways. In our giving to the church, in our giving to missions. Because stewardship is managing your life, not just a segment of your life, but your life. But in this particular, in this particular parable, uh, it appears that he's definitely talking about a commodity. He had wasted the goods of the rich man. So, a few practical tips. Now, first I want to say that what God really is looking for, I believe, in your life is balance. You see, it is possible that you'd spend all your time taking care of things that's going to burn up later on. See? So, please understand that whenever I talk to you, that uh, I am not ignoring the fact that our primary concern should be to preach the gospel to the lost, uh, also to, to, to make sure that we take care of the personal, spiritual, and emotional needs of people. Uh, a person who makes his God his car and always shines on his car and takes care of it all, and, and, and yet he won't visit people who are sick and such, he's certainly not a good steward. There's more to it than that. So we want to stress to you that God is really talking about balance. Don't let things become your God. See, when things own you and you don't own them, then you're not in control. It's in control. See, stewardship is managing. That simply means you are the manager, not the commodity. But you are the manager. However... When God does bless you with something that's nice, you need to know how to take care of it and not waste it. And you need to take care of it in a very personal, dignified way. By that I mean realizing that you are representing a cause that's greater than your own. Don't become proud because of your new car. Don't become proud because of your new home. Don't become proud because of your new suit. Don't become proud because of the, the appliances that God has given to you. But please understand that all of these things do belong to the Lord. And you are taking care of that particular segment of His kingdom that He has allotted to you. Now, just to give you an, an example, I, I know right now two brothers... Now, these two brothers, all of their life, they made approximately the same amount of income. Now, I know them very well. Their income, when I say brothers, I'm talking about blood brothers. They came out of the same household. They have the same mom and dad. Okay. So, basically, they grew up with a, the same philosophy in the household. Of course, uh... Uh, they both married uh, ladies who were outside the state. Both of them married uh, women from outside of our state. And when you put a man and a woman together, there is a blending of the philosophy. It's not established altogether by the man because the man recognizes that quite often the woman that he marries has some very wise ways and practical ways. And so... Uh, his way of managing things will change somewhat. But nevertheless, <clears throat> both of these brothers had the same number of children. 
Now, they, they had about the same income. They had the same number of children. They married uh, girls that were out of the same state, in fact, close to the same hometown. Uh, all Pentecostal. Now, the thing about it is, and I want to describe as much as possible one household, I'm going to describe the other, and please understand that whenever I speak of old and this type thing, and I speak of this and that, I am not in any way making fun. I'm simply explaining the household. One of the brothers always drives a car that just hardly ever will make it down the road. Now, I've been to special Pentecostal gatherings, and he's always asking for a jump. You know what I mean, a jump start. Now, nothing wrong with that. I had to jump one of mine yesterday. And, but but, but this, this is the condition. And not only that, he's always driving an oil burner. Now, by that I mean if you're behind him, you can't hardly see him. No, I'm serious because I have driven behind this car. Now, I'm not trying to make fun of him, see. I'm explaining something that I think is very, very important. Okay, now if you go to his house, and I've been to his house, he has absolutely no furniture in his house that would bring over $20 at a rummage sale. Now, I'm serious when I say that. Now, I am saying if he likes that and he enjoys that, that's fine with me. That's not that's not, not that's no hang up with me. I'm just explaining something, okay? Not only that, his front door always has has the screen torn out of it. Always. Always. And the front door is always real grubby, dirty. Now the house is always fairly clean inside. But they, they don't have any good dishes. They have no silverware that's, that matches. Around their table, there are only one or two chairs that are the same color. None of the same style. Now follow what I'm saying? Now, okay. <clears throat> now, he always lives in a real old home in an old part of town. Now, his brother, on the other hand, making approximately the same money, always drives a nice car that's not an oil burner. It's always waxed and polished. It's always vacuumed out and clean. I've ridden in both of their cars. He always has a nice home. Always... When you walk in their home, it is immaculate. The children dress nice. They always have nice shoes. Everything is in ship shape. It's organized. He doesn't owe any bills. The first gentleman I described always has so many bills that he's always, he always is down in the dumps. Now... What is the difference? The difference is not in income. One was not handed a, a, a silver spoon in life. What is the difference? The difference is what lies between their two ears. It's how they think. 
that causes the difference. I must say that somewhere, and I haven't looked at their budget, but they've had no major sicknesses or anything in their family that's taken or robbed away from one man. And the other man has not inherited. I know, because I know this family quite well. Neither one of them, they have, have, has experienced any hardship, nor have they received some outside help. What is the difference? The difference is in the way that they have managed their lives. That's where it is. And if you were to take up a special offering in the congregation where they attend, I will assure you that the one man who is out of debt always gives a nice offering and the other cries at the altar because he doesn't have it. His heart is there, but he can't do it. What is the difference? The difference is not in the breaks they get. The difference is in the way they manage. And the way they manage is determined by the way they look at things and the way they think. How well they preserve certain things. Now, all I want to do is just to give you some, some examples that I feel that, that, it, that it, that's very, very important. Now, I have a fairly new automobile, and I have one that's not so new. I've got a 1982 Oldsmobile. This really belongs to God. Now, just because it belongs to God, that doesn't mean you should come up and ask me for the keys. Please understand. Because God has placed the keys in my pocket so that I can manage it. And it would not be wise for me to let everybody else manage it if that is my primary responsibility. You follow what I'm saying? God gave it to me to manage, not to you, but to me. Now, it doesn't mean that if you need a car and God so desires, God can... God can whisper in my ear anytime he wants to, and he can say, loan that car to brother so-and-so to take a vacation to Mexico City. Now, that's God's prerogative. Now, please, if you stay going a long time in it, please understand I'll, I'll send the coupon book with you, you know. You can mail back a payment on it, see. It, it really isn't paid for. I have a 1977 van. This 1977 van, at this point in time, has 127,000 miles on it. It's been around a long time. So I consider that I have a fairly new automobile, and I also have an old automobile. Now, I'm going to General Conference in Louisville, Kentucky, this coming September... And I'll be taking the van. And the reason why I'm taking the van is because brother and sister Aaron are going with us. So we'll be taking the van. The van is an eight passenger. My car is not. Now there's six of us, but some of us are too wide. <laughs> and when I say too wide, I'm talking about one too wide. <laughs> not T-O-O -O wide. Okay. But uh, 
we might be too wide too, but uh, <clears throat> at, at any rate, we're going to take that. Now, I said that to stress that the car is old, but I have taken, I think, pretty good care of it. My van has no dents in it. It has no rust in it. It starts on the spur of the moment after today because I put a new battery on it. See? And uh, everything works about it, except the door doesn't work too good. But uh, I have worked on it several times. But you may say, well, do you spend a lot of time working on it? No, I don't spend a lot of time working on the van. It's just that when the Lord gave me this van, I was thankful for it. I wanted a van. And God gave me a van. But I can tell you one thing, every winter... That van gets washed one time per week. I'm not going to let salt build up on it and rust it out. Now, I can show you vans that have 60,000 miles on it that look like a chain-link fence on the sides. See? Now, what I'm saying is it, it, it takes hard-earned money and whenever I get paid, I consider it a gift from God, and I think you ought to. Because God gives and God takes away. But uh, I think that, I really think that it is absolutely wasteful for God to allow you to drive His new car and you be so negligent that you let the thing rust out. I don't think that it brings due credit to the cause of a God that owns everything in the world. I told you I wasn't reading Scripture as much as I'm using logic tonight. But I think you understand what I'm saying. Then what happens, you see, you get a pretty nice vehicle and it gets dents all over it and rust all over it and you don't wash it and you never wax it and I think, I think everybody ought to wax their car. I mean, thoroughly wax it once a year. You may say, once a year, that's not very often. Well, most people don't do it that often. But if you, they do have wax that will last one full year, providing you don't use some type of cleanser on it to wash it, like, uh, uh, like some of these real uh, hard cleansers that we have. I can't comment. You don't use comment on a car. That'll take wax, paint, and everything off, see. But now, you can do that. You may say, but if I did that, I'd spend all my time waxing my car. Well, no, not really. You see, you probably spend as much time looking for cars to trade <laughs> as I do waxing mine. You follow what I'm saying? Now, you see, what happens a lot of times, because somebody takes care of something and, and then God blesses them, it's real easy sometimes for slothful Christians to come by and say, Oh, you must be doing pretty good. It must be nice. Haven't you? You've heard people say that, haven't you? You know. But you see, if, if the Lord granted me a new car and I didn't take care of it, I would not expect him to come by. Because I believe that 
and, and give me another one. I do not believe that, that God could measure thankfulness in that light. How could I be thankful for something if I proved to him I didn't care about the thing after he gave it to me? Does this make sense? You see, this is what we're talking about. Wasting his goods. Now, sometimes, now the reason why I'm saying this, Christians sometimes are programmed for poverty. They think it ought to be that way. Occasionally I go in a place and, and, uh, and somebody just the other day said, Oh, you're a pastor. You must be sworn to poverty. And I said, Well, I never heard anything about that in the Bible. I've experienced it a little bit at times. You follow what I'm saying? But some people have this idea. I thought when I was growing up that living by faith, because we had some folks in the church that, I mean to tell you, they didn't have one thing. They had to pray for every meal. They had to pray for every gallon of gasoline. They had to pray for every stick of wood that heated their home, everything. I thought they were living by faith because I was told that. These people really live by faith. We had other people who had nice businesses and nice homes and such and well, we never considered them living by faith, but the truth of the matter is, let me ask you this. Which man, according to the Scriptures, living by faith? The man who prays all time and never gets, or the man who prays and gets? Now, you can't prove to me that if you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying, and you spend 90% of your prayers praying about earthly goods, you can't prove to me that you're living by faith. Now, I know that Jesus said, take no thought, thought of tomorrow. He also spoke of, of, of our houses and our shelter and this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But it is a known fact to manage your life and take care of the things that God has given to you. You spend less time fooling around with those things than you do if you don't take care of them. I know what it's like to drive cars that I had to work on not just every day, but several times a day if I made several trips. I know what that's like. And please understand, if you have never driven a new car, and if presently your car has more dents than any car in the parking lot, this is not to be reflected toward you. What I'm saying is, you need to be thankful for the dented car if you have a dented car. But just because you have a rusted dented car doesn't mean that you should then take no thought and just let it go and never take care of it. For your fidelity to God is tested not by how much time you spend, but how well you take care of that which you have been given. Really? And, and I just, I, I, I have all the automobiles that I drive with an exception of, of one that my son wrecked. Uh, <laughs> I put way over 100,000 miles. The car that John is presently driving has close to 140,000 miles on it. Now, I don't know if it's drinking oil or not. But I will say this, when I gave it to him, it had 114, 15,000 miles on it, and it didn't drink oil. 
And you may say, how? I change the oil regularly. You see, new cars is not my thing. Now, you who are salesmen and you drive a lot, you have to trade a lot. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that whether your car is new or whether it's old, I feel that you need to take care of it. Now, people are asking me this question. we got a lot of new ones here. And some of you who are visiting now, you say, what does this have to do with the gospel? Well, it is related to the Bible principle of stewardship. Take care of what you have. I have seen some cars that had so much trash and junk in it that you didn't even know if it had a floor in it, except only logic taught you that something had to be holding up all that stuff. You follow what I'm saying? You know, Hardy wrappers and and McDonald cups and Pepsi bottles and you name it. I mean, just trash. And then all of a sudden, you know, you pick up pick up a hitchhiker and get in. And then you start telling about Jesus. Oh, he's the greatest thing alive. You know, we own the cattle in a thousand hills. Me and the Lord do. You know. Now, this man's got enough sense to know that if God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, he also owns all the Cadillacs on a thousand hills. And why are you treating this one? You're not even thankful for this thing. It's a walking garbage can. You follow what I'm saying? And you never wax it, you never polish it, you never change the oil. If the mufflers get holes in them, you just let them go. And you can hear you coming a long time before you see you coming. And, and, you know, Jesus is so great. Oh, I'll tell you, he's so wonderful. He does so many good things for me. And yet, did you know what? Let me tell you something. Most of the people like that, you see, where you live and how you live and what you wear and how you wear it and what you drive and how you drive it, take all reflects on your general attitude toward what you are involved in. Do you know why we make the kids wear uniforms to school? you have any idea? Because if you allow students to dress like they dress in the public schools, they're going to think like they think in the public schools. Now, you may, we, we may have some people here who go to the public school, and you have combated all that. But uh, just to go out and buy jeans that are faded just because you don't want to look new and act new and be excited about things and and uh, dress the way they do. And then they wonder why they all slop down in the, the classroom and chew gum and let their hair grow long and don't know how to read and write. It does reflect. It certainly does, and you know that it does. So basically what I'm saying is, and I'm not... I'm not trying to set myself up as an example, but I, I will not drive a rusted-out car unless I have to. Now, if God gives me one to drive, I'll drive it. But now, if he gives me one that doesn't have rust on it, I'm going to do everything I can to keep the rust off of it. Now, that only makes sense. And I'm not going to drive a dented car unless I have to. If God gives me one with a dent in it, I'm going to try to get that dent out of it as soon as I can.
But if I don't have the money, that's a different thing altogether. But if he gives me one that doesn't have a dent in it, now I put a dent in it, I'm going to take the dent out of God's car. Because all of this reflects against the Lord. And I'm going to take and change the oil. In other words, I don't want to be guilty of wasting my, my goods. Because I know that if I don't, then what's going to happen? Listen, five or six additional oil changes is cheap compared to a new motor. And you know a new motor in any automobile is going to cost you a lot of moolah. That's the long for money. Isn't that right? And besides that, you know, you, you get to drive around a, a vehicle that, that, uh, that you feel good about. Now, there are several things I want to hit here tonight and don't want to take too much time, okay? <clears throat> now, we'll just talk about something that's very, very simple, okay? And I told you I'd talk about this. Let's consider, we talk about shoes for an example. You know, shoes cost a whole lot of money. A nice pair of men's shoes, new work boots, would cost you what? How much? Fifty dollars. Forty-five, fifty dollars. Okay. How many of you agree with that? Somewhere along. You may have to pay more, depending. There are some people who uh, have particular uh, feet problems, and they have to get special type of boots. Uh, for myself, when I get a work boot, I have to get one that's got a wedge heel on it. That simply means that it doesn't have this in here. Because I've got a bad ankle. So I've got to pay a little bit more. Now, when I go buy a work boot, I bought a work boot last year. And I listen, I work in those boots. I take those boots to camp. I work in them. The other work boot that I had, I bought the year I moved here, 1970, and it lasted me until 1982. 1972. Ten years I wore those boots. Now, <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, I just I put a lot of miles on You say, how in the world can you wear? Well, I wasn't working every day like Brother Rossing works in his. See, he drives that Pepsi truck, and he's up and down, and he's climbing up. His probably don't last over a year or maybe not that long, see? But please understand, it's a different situation altogether. But when I got those work boots, the first thing I did, I got some silicone and I treated them. Now I treated my others. Now I'm going into the second season on the others, and the others are still practically new. I've worn them. I've done a lot of things with them. But it only makes sense that I treat those seasonally. I, I shovel snow in them. I do a lot of things in them. Now, I've got a pair of rubber boots that I, I put when the, when the snow turns to water. Now, I'm just calling your attention to, to some things here that, that, that does affect your walk with God in a much more direct way than what you will think. If you want something to zap you spiritually, you get down financially and you'll find that what I'm telling you is the truth. Now, I personally feel, and this is the question has been asked to me. I, per, I have been asked this question. Brother Grant, 
What, how much should I pay for shoes? And how much should I pay for clothes? And, you know, James speaks of men who come in that are well-dressed. And you give them the front seat and a man that's not well-dressed. And you give them the back seat. And, and he says, now, that's no good. You know, here's a man that's got a ring on his finger and a nice gray suit. And he looks like he's worth a million dollars. You give him a front seat and you make somebody sit on the back seat. No, we're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're not, it doesn't make any difference tonight to me whether you even have a suit on or not. So we're not talking about that kind of stuff. Please understand. But I personally found, and I'm, I'm doing this because I've been asked overwhelmingly by so many different people, you know, where do I strike a balance? What do I do? Now, I personally found to pay a little bit more for a boot will last you probably three times longer than to pay practically nothing for one. And besides that, it's comfortable while you're wearing. Your feet are not so tired at the end of the night. And if you take care of it, listen, it's going to last you a long time. But you go buy a work boot. Some people say, well, it's a work boot. And you don't ever polish them. You may say, polish your work boots. Well, I polish mine. Now, you may be working in a situation where you don't need to or you shouldn't. You follow what I'm saying? But I'm saying that, that, that preserve it and keep it as nice and, as you possibly can. Because you can, you can have a better work boot and it'll last you three or four times as long. You actually are saving money. You are saving money when you do that. Now, I expect to get a, a lot of wear out of my boots. But when my boots, when the leather color begins to turn white, it's then time for me to put some more silicone on them and put some more polish on them. And listen, I, the work boots that I have, I've got some... I've got some boots that I work underneath the bus on, but I've got some that I won't dare crawl underneath that bus on. Why? Because I just don't want them looking that way. You may say, oh, pride. I'll say then, you just you go ahead and, and live it the way you live it, you know. But I, I tell you, I won't dare take mine and, and, and water if they're not, if they're not sealed. I just won't do it because I have some convictions. You may say convictions. I thought convictions were predicated upon the Scripture, and I believe that. But the things that I'm not thankful for, I throw away. I don't even want them around. And I've got a pair every now and then I, I become unthankful with, and I throw them, toss them out, get rid of them. No. I was, uh, we make fun every now and then. I say make fun. Maybe I shouldn't use that term. We make comments every now and then about ladies and all their shoes, you know. And Sister Debbie was over at our house. She said, Brother Grant, now, I don't ever want you to say anything about my shoes again. Where's Debbie anyway? There she is. And she, she's the lady that has X number of pair of shoes. <laughs> a lot of shoes I mean just a lot of shoes and she made fun of me she came over she said uh, now I'm going to tell everybody how many pairs of shoes you have now I do have quite a few pairs of shoes I've got to tell you now I don't usually just go out and buy shoes because I need shoes you may say I buy shoes when I find them on sale 
And I do have a good number of pair of shoes. But I can tell you this, I hardly ever wear out a pair of shoes. I hardly ever. Now, I will tell you what I do with my shoes. Okay? You won't see me wearing a pair of shoes two days in a row. Because I'm a firm believer that I need to, when I get home, I take this shoe off, I tie it back, I put a shoe tree in it and straighten it out and polish it and let it dry out. And I won't put it on for another day or so. Now, you may say, oh, Brother Grant, listen. Now, I'm telling you the truth. I bought a lot of rummage sale shoes. And when I moved to Wisconsin, I spent every bit of the money I had on a, on a church that we built a house with. And I bought three or four pairs of shoes at a rummage sale. But I treated them the same way. I bought a whole bunch of them for $2. But I took and I straightened them up and I shined them and I tried to keep them shined. I only think that makes sense. And I, I don't shop just for cheap shoes. Now let me just ask you something here. Listen to me. Listen to my logic. If you go down to Woodman's and you buy soap suds, is that what you call that, soap suds? What do you call that in a box, you know? Soap powders? Detergent. Somebody, that's a good, uh, detergent. All right, you go down and you, who said that anyway? I couldn't think of the word, okay? You go buy that and you buy detergent. Now, let me ask you. If in the event they have detergent there, now you're interested in saving money. They got a three-pound box. Does that sound reasonable? Does it, sister? She had all the answers there. Oh, who said that anyway? Okay. Three, let's say three-pound box for $3. I don't know whether that's right or not. But Now, right next to it, they have a seven-pound box for $5. Okay. Now, here you are. You're trying to think. Now, what's what, what's what, what, what? See? Then they have a bigger box. They got a 12-pound box for $8. Now, you know, which one of those boxes is the best buy? Well, you know the 12-pound box for $8. Now, let me ask you this. If this be true, why is it the best buy? Because it's going to last you longer. Now, just because you have a 12-pound box and you take it home now and you use twice as much soap, that doesn't mean that you got a better buy. And if you find out that, that one brand, you've got to use twice as much as the other, it might not be a best, the best buy. And I feel the same way when you're buying things. When Sister Grant and I got married, we bought a whole house full of furniture, brand new, for $250. Now, you think I'm kidding you? <laughs> well, they had a bedroom suit. Let me, let me name off what, what we had, okay? We had a living room suit, coffee table, two lamps, two end tables. The living room suit was a sofa and a matching chair. We also bought a, a bedroom suit, 
it had a dresser, mirror, chest of drawers, uh, mattress, box springs, and uh, and headboard and footboard or whatever you call it. <laughs> and and then we got a uh, uh, dining room table, four chairs. Uh, well, okay. Now let me tell you about that. Okay. We didn't have any kids. So the kids didn't tear it up. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. But the kids didn't tear it up. But did you know how long that stuff lasted? It lasted just about a year or so. I mean to tell you, those 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 end tables were made out of paper. <laughs> really. I mean, they were just so... And I have found out this. Just as I used the logic that I used a minute ago, you're also better off to buy nicer things that will last longer. Now, this is what people are asking me because, you see, they're committing their lives to the Lord and they're saying, how much should I allocate for missions? I don't want to... Is it, is it right for me to have nice stuff? You'll find out one thing. And listen... I have tried, and I happen to know what I'm talking about. Brother Ron sells furniture, and Brother Ron can tell you this. If he goes and picks out a sofa, and you look at the price tag, you may say, wow, that would cost three times as much as that one over there. I'll guarantee you it'll last ten times as long. And besides that, while you're buying that sofa that's going to wear out and wear out and wear out inflation gets higher and higher and you add up the number of sofas that it takes to equivalent the lifetime of the one and you're going to find out one thing that you've got a whole lot more money sunk and at the same time you still don't have anything nice you still don't have anything nice now see in stewardship we teach you to manage your lives we don't set we don't set any particular goal. We don't try to establish we don't try to establish a, a budget or anything, or not even a sample budget, but what we do is this. We try to ingrain in you a particular philosophy that is altogether biblical, so that you can make up your own mind. Now certainly to go deep in debt and live beyond your means is not right. Whatever you have, you should always take care of it. You should always be thankful for it. And if you invite me over to your house next Sunday and I have to sit on an orange crate, I would be the very last one to complain. Because I have personally, I have personally sat down on orange crates and eaten before. You see what I'm talking? That's not what we're saying at all. But what we are saying is this, that we need to take care of what we have and we need to treat things and organize things. You know, and, and as far as time management, you go into a home that's not organized and people spend more time looking for a letter they got from Aunt Sue last week. They don't have any earthly idea. Where is the letter? Uh, it takes so long to organize this place. But you know you're going to spend a lot more time. 
looking for all those letters and all those bills and all those tax receipts and all that kind of stuff. You follow what I'm saying? And the same is true in your monetary management. You're going to spend less money when you're organized and such. And then when it's time to give permissions and such, uh, while nobody may ever know, you can actually bless the kingdom of God by transferring from the account that the Lord has allowed you to personally manage. It's not your personal account. It may be for your personal welfare, but it's not your own. It's God's. But you see, God couldn't ask certain favors of certain people. Why? It would just break them. I mean, they just, they'd have to lay at the altar weeping and crying for days. Now we want to get into another area. I don't want to cover, I don't want to stay too long on some of these things. Oh, by the way, let me ask you this. I'm just going to point out something to the men that are here. I don't know when I bought these shoes, but I think I bought these shoes back around the first of the year. Do you know when's the last time I've actually polished these? When I got them. I really haven't polished them since. Now, I do have... I do have a little quick shine thing, and I have some sole polish you put on the soles of them. These had black soles. And every time I put them up, I put the shoe tree in them, and I use this quick shine thing on them, and occasionally I polish the soles. But I really haven't used any brown shoe polish on these since I bought them. So the truth of the matter is, I'm probably spending less time. takes me about 10 seconds to get them all fixed up and ready for next time than you would if you never if you, you never did do anything and you had to go back and put the brown on them every now and then. You follow what I'm saying there? We're talking about conserving time and wasting goods and this type of thing. Just thought I'd throw that in there. <clears throat> I think that, that Christians should feel good about God and feel healthy about themselves. What do you mean healthy about themselves? You know good and well. You know good and well that you can't feel good about anything that you could do better with and you don't. You can't. Nobody can tell me that you can. If you've got the oldest car in the lot, and it's clean and neat. And it's well taken care of. And you've got the oldest suit in all the wardrobes of the church. But they're pressed and they're clean. And you've got the most out of style shoes. But nevertheless, they're polished and they're nice. You're going to feel better about yourself. And more healthy about what you're involved in than the man who's got a new car that's unwashed and you got to rake it out every now and then with a rake. You follow what I'm saying? You know. Somebody asked me, and I don't hardly talk about myself like this. Somebody asked me, Brother Graham, what do you do when you first get it? First thing I do when I get up, I pray. Unless I happen to oversleep. 
Now, occasionally, if I stay up to 2 o'clock or so, taking care of church business, and I had to do that one time this week, I just and I had a 7 o'clock appointment, I told the brother to give me a call. Well, when he called me, I was already up. And I was already dressed, and I was ready to go. But nevertheless, uh, in a case like that, uh, naturally I wouldn't. I just, I just wait. And, uh, uh, but, but normally I get up and I pray. The second thing I do, I go and shave and comb my hair. I don't know. I got this psychological hang-up. When I'm, when I'm down praying and my beard is long and my hair is sticking up, I just see the Lord looking down upon this porcupine down there. See? <laughs> Now, listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. You know, like in a Christian school, we tell the boys, shave every day. Comb your hair. Don't let your hair get too long. Keep your shoes shine. Put on a belt. Get your tie right. And we, we make them do all those things. You know what they do? They sit up there. Did you know what? We ran averages of schools that we checked into, and every school that we went to that didn't have a uniform in it, their average was lower than the uniform schools. Put your child on correspondence and let him wake up in the morning when he wants to and don't get dressed and study laying across the bed and find out what kind of grades he gets. Can you relate to that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. There's just something about it. I can assure you. And, and this is the reason why we have some of the, the, some of the wives have asked my wife about, uh, my wife gets up every morning and she fixes her hair. Now she doesn't always dress in street clothes to go out on the street. But she looks nice. And then she can work and work and work. I have never heard of a lady that just gets up and just lets her hair all string, you know. And she doesn't get dressed, you know. And she just feels like a million dollars. I'm kind of meddling tonight. And besides that, I'm overtime. <clears throat> You understand what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. And we're just simply talking about managing your life. But isn't it nice when you get up and you pray and you shave and you get your new fresh shine shoes on and you get your hair combed and, and, and you get your clean clothes on and you feel like a million dollars. You feel good. I don't know about you men at work. I used to do construction work, and I never did like to wear the same pair of pants twice, one day and the next day. When I put, you know, I take a shower and get all cleaned up and put dirty pants on. I didn't feel too good. Now that, you may be different, you know, but I didn't like to do that. You know, I, I tell people, even if you don't feel like it, you at least smile, and make out like you got good sense. You know, it has something to do. Really, it has. Oh, listen. Our land basically is unthankful. Really. We're unthankful. 
I want to see the blessings of God upon our congregation. I had a lot more that I wanted to say, but I'm going to stop. I just don't feel that I, I have to do this. But people were asking me. But the secret of it is, take care of what you have and don't let it own you. and Don't let it become your God. For truly at an old-fashioned altar, and I use the term old-fashioned not in the sense that the altar physically is old-fashioned, but I'm talking about the message. It's been around a long time. That when we committed our life to the Lord and we said yes, we really transferred everything. I gave him not only the title to the home that I own, but I promised I'd give him the title to all the homes I'll ever own. Somebody asked me recently, said, Brother Grant, you live in a pretty nice home. Wouldn't you hate to give this up? I've got to tell you. I've got to tell you. I've built a lot of homes. And that would not bother me to give that house up. I've done a lot of work there recently even. A lot of work. But I know that God's got a lot better house than that one. And I know that I have the ability that God's given me to build one better than that one if that's what he wants. But if he doesn't want it, I'd be happy in a smaller one that is less valuable. I settled all those things at an altar many years ago. And it was like when I stood at the altar and I told the preacher I do when I married my wife. I expected to have a few skirmishes with her. We fussed. But I love her. And she loves me. I didn't expect it to be a bed of roses. But that was my commitment. I gave him the birth certificate of my children and all that would be born into my household. I turned my marriage license over to him. I gave him the title of all the cars that I'd ever owned. I gave it all to him. For Jesus said, except a man forsake houses and lands. And he goes on to, down to say his father and his mother and his brother and his sister and his wife and his children... And even hate his own self. That's loveless. He can not be my disciple. I want to take care of things because they're God's. But I don't want to overdo it to the point that they become my God and they own me. My number one fidelity is Jesus Christ, it's not my shoes. It's not my automobile. It's not my house. It's just that when I walk the streets, I represent you and I represent God. And when I drive the streets, I represent you and I represent God. And I want to be a good steward. God may send me who knows where. I may be in China this time next year where nobody has a new automobile. And a lot of people don't even have homes. 
and I may be placed in a thatched roof with a bicycle to ride. But I still belong to God. You see, it's not this life that I'm after. It's the other life. And you know, 70 years, three score and ten, is short compared to eternity. All I want to do is manage myself to the point that, that life doesn't get the best of me. And I don't become enslaved. And yet at the same time I represent his cause well. I know that when death takes me home, there's a better place. But do you know, the most beautiful part of heaven really isn't streets of gold, nor a mansion over there. But it's just to see my Redeemer, who cared enough to save me. I could, you know, be hell-bound without a hope. I could live in a mansion here and then burn in the lake of fire forever and ever. I don't want that to happen. Praise God. And I don't want to stress things like this to the point that people get the wrong idea. Please don't. We just want to be well-respected citizens and fit into our society in such an inconspicuous way that when people see us, they, they don't really see us. We're transparent. They see our God. For really, it's His life that we're demonstrating. Hallelujah. Would you stand? Praise God. Sister Sue comes. Let's sing the chorus, Heaven for me, heaven for me. Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. All the beauty and splendor I'm longing to see. But really, Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Praise Wait upon God. He wants to speak to us tonight.
So my children, I do want you to know that I love you. And please understand the love of a father. For the father would not bestow gifts upon a son that would spoil him and thwart his thinking away from the purpose of the cause that he represents. But surely I will take care of you. And I do not desire you to be as neglected children who are unloved by their parents. For I live in a holy city and reign among the richest. And I have promised to give it all to you. But while you are living on this earth, you must blend with this earth so that when people do indeed see you, that they see me and they see my wonderful, wonderful purpose. I am your Lord and I'm very much concerned about you. And many of you have varying ministries on different levels. And I try my very best to weigh out where you are and grant you gifts that will be complementary to your ministry. So I, the Lord, your God, am very much concerned about all of your needs. I am just asking that you love me and be thankful of where I have put you. For I will never neglect you. I said I would not do that. This is why I promised in my word I will be with you always, even to the end, saith the Lord. Don't you love him? Oh, hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands and love him. Oh, God. Heaven for me, oh, 
Savior with outstretched arms that awaits for you tonight. And the Spirit of the Lord is moving in this assembly. We invited Him here. If you've never had a real relationship with Jesus, tonight is a good night to start it. Would you like to step right out and come and kneel and pray on both sides of the pulpit? There is a place for you to kneel and call upon the name of the Lord. Christian workers throughout our building would be glad to assist you and instruct you and help you find a relationship with the Lord. Why don't you step out right now? Keep humming it, would you? Praise God. Would you step out? Come on right now. Who'd like to pray? God now two or three of you sisters come and pray with Donna would you do that God bless you alright oh hallelujah the Holy Spirit of the Lord is here tonight somebody else step out right now would you come and give your heart to God Praise God. Now a couple of more sisters come and pray with Karen and Sister Sally, a sister here. Praise God. A couple of more sisters come and kneel with her. Praise God. Somebody else want to come? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. All the beauties and wonders I'm longing 